This is episode 176 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2010 Winter Youth Celebration Transformation. This is session five with Sean Garman. Wow. That was awesome. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. Um, you know what? I was... A- couple sessions back, I talked about that kid that jumped out the windows and he was crazy and um, he took off his shirt and put it in the trash and um, but he accepted Christ and there was one person over here that started clapping. Do you remember that? There was one person clapping over there and um, I think it'd be cool if after you, we hear stories like Kevin and we hear stories like Josh when people come to Christ, I think we should be jazzed up. So um, I kind of like just kept going in the story that night. Not one person wanted to clap and praise God. So um, will you stand up? And uh, I know there's not a bunch of music going on. But uh, I'd like you to um, close your eyes and, and dunk your head with me. And talk to God with me. Lord, we don't, we don't want to miss what you're doing. And we, I don't want to uh, fail in celebration. God, to hear Kevin's story or all of the stories that I've got to hear and as we tell stories and as we see that it's your story and when your story touches us and we see that you have a plan for us, it blows our minds. And it, just, it does, it flips our lid and God, Holy Spirit, when you start to unleash and you move and you teach and you center us on our King and we sense that citizenship that we have that's never gone away. When the comforter comes and guarantees us that this isn't a trick, we're not being deceived that this is truth, this is life, that we would celebrate. And so God, I just, I wanna repent of getting up here and, and ever having an agenda that isn't of you. And God, I just thank you for my brother, sister, whoever that was clapping that day. And so, Lord, we want to clap. We want to yell. We want to scream. And uh, we want to shout your praises. We cry out and we shout a lot of times in pain. But rarely do we just get to celebrate, especially with a room full of people. And so, Lord, God, I just ask that you would listen to us shout and praise your name right now. And it may even feel odd for those, especially those who who don't know what it's like to have gone from death to life yet, those contemplating, those that Kevin was pleading with to repent and say, you're in a fallen state and you can't get yourself out of this. And so God, for for those of us who, who know that, who sent you, who believe in you and want your glory, Lord, we raise our hands and we clap to you, Lord. So God... It's okay to be stoked about God. You can be seated. No, let's clap some more. I wasn't trying to fake you up. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, God. 
We thank you for who you are, Lord. We don't take time in our life just to open up and to give you all the praises, God, and to just let loose and to get past ourselves and our culture and our identities, Lord. We're in you. We want to root down in you. And we want to reach up and know that we're a part of the Holy of Holies, God. We love you, Father. We thank you for sending the Son and for Him dying on the cross. That crazy, ridiculous, scandalous cross where your blood was shed, Lord. We just receive that, God. And we ask for your power and your glory. And nothing more, Lord. Humble us before your throne, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. What I love about Kevin and, and him coming up here is, um, first of all, that he was really humble. But you could sense that. And um, when we're humble, the Holy Spirit rises from that. And so maybe that's lesson one. Consider humility. If you want to read more about that, look at Philippians 2. We see that Christ was humbled to the point of death. And that we must die. Did you hear Kevin? He, he faded out of the story and he was... He was imparting the truths of who Jesus Christ was. Jesus was the hero. And as we've been talking, we've been talking, we talked a lot about going from death to life. And that's a piece of the gospel transformation. That's where it begins. That's, that's, that's what happens. We were created and then we fell. And we're a part of a fallen world, a fallen nature. Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. And then God comes in and he redeems us. And we're talking about restoration and this process of, of transformation, of going from life to death. And then yesterday we talked a little bit about where's our identity. It's one thing to be made alive, but what were we made alive for? What is the purpose of, of our life? We know that the power of resurrection comes through Jesus Christ, but we also find out that through Jesus Christ, we receive the purpose and the meaning of our life. And then I used a word yesterday called grace. And I was talking about Huey and Louie, and a cop had declared in kind of a foul way, that was grace. He was doing his own version of a sermon. But he was saying, this is grace. And I said, that's when God accepts you. That's when God says, I know your story. There's no dirty little secrets between us. I've laid out grace. This is an atmosphere for you to come into relationship with me. And we walk that out. Now, when we go from death to life and then we find out that we get to be rooted down and built up in our identity in Christ, in the gospel. There's a process that we walk out. And sometimes it's very confusing for us. In fact, I think a lot of Christianity says, yes, you raised me from death to life, and now I'm walking with you, Jesus, and, and I'm a Christian. But what's very confusing for a lot of us, a lot of people who claim Christ, a lot of churches, the population of people who are following Jesus, it's very confusing when we have Jesus and we suffer when bad things happen. 
I mean, we dread it. We don't want to see sin. We don't want to see anything evil. And what we do is we reject parts of the story that are still happening, that are still dirty, that are still sinful. And sometimes we just go, well, can't we just say I'm alive and I'm now in you and I'll just ignore all of those things? No. God wants to further the story and God wants to use good and bad circumstances to transform you. He wants to use those as shaping tools. The Gospel is not afraid of bad circumstances or even good circumstances. You know, good circumstances are just as powerful to pull us away from the centrality of who Jesus Christ is in our life. When things are going good, sometimes we forget God. We're in that place. What's your favorite place to be? For me, it's by the ocean. And if I'm paddling out or if I'm just sitting on the shore, sometimes I can just get so caught up into that environment. I know there's a lot of rural kids here. Sometimes maybe you're just riding your horse and you're at that right spot. Is it okay to say horse with you guys? I know I'm urban, but raise your hand if you've ridden a horse. Okay, good. I'm, now I'm feeling more comfortable. It wasn't a big stretch, okay? Okay, so there you are. You know, I drive like this. You ride like this. So here I am in Eastern Oregon, and this place is wonderful. But sometimes something is so good that we can forget that it's a gift from God. So sometimes good things can pull us out of the power and the purpose that God actually has for us. We forget Jesus very easily. And in bad times, we want to curse God. We want to say, oh, it's not supposed to happen this way. So today, I want to say, we know the part of the story where we've come from death to life. We know that we're in and rooted and being built up in Christ, that he's our cornerstone to the foundation of the dwelling of who we are. But I also want to talk about good and bad circumstances. And as you've been working on your story yesterday, let me ask you this question for you to answer in your head. As you're writing this out, who is the glory of your story? Is it a story about God? Do you see God in the bad circumstances as, as much as you see him in the good circumstances? And you know what? To be honest with you, I'm asking you a really tough thing. Because there's been some terrible things that have happened in your lives. There's been some things that have really jacked up your mind and your heart. There's been some things that you wish desperately that was never a part of your story. There's some things that make you angry. Maybe you have to see that thing that makes you angry and upset every day. Maybe you walk out the door of your house, or maybe you're dreading to come back into your house. And you say, where's God in that? I'm in Christ. What are you doing giving me this roller coaster ride, God? I want the scriptures to speak to us this morning. I want the scriptures to, to help resolve this and have us be reconciled to going, there's some crappy things that happen. We're going to talk and you're going to think a little bit about crap today. But you know, we're not going to center on that because we're going to get to the crown. But the truth is, is, is when we don't rely on the gospel, 
we're teetering between the crap and the crown. And can God use crap? Can God redeem that? It, in Corinthians, it says, scum of the earth. Can God redeem scum of the earth? Sinners, enemies, remember trespassers, people who had beef with God, disputing people with God. Can God redeem that? He can redeem that. So today, I want you to be thinking about the redemption. And maybe some of you haven't allowed the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is and his nature. Remember, I talked a little bit about it last night. I said, if we're identifying in him and we're recognizing who God is as Lord Jesus Christ, his role, who he is as a person in the Trinity, as God, if we're, not, if we're recognizing him more, we'll understand who we are. And one of the things we need to recognize is his power to work through all circumstances. And you know what? Here's a huge deception, you guys. Many, many times we'll allow a circumstance, an external thing, something that's going on in our lives, to be bigger than Jesus. To be bigger than the gospel. And you know what's really great about having each other? Is we get to remind each other and go, it sounds like that's more important to you than Jesus. It sounds like that's rattling your cage more than Jesus. It sounds like you believe that could be more powerful than Jesus. Think about the story of Moses. He leads the people out, and it's this pilgrimage. It's this journey. They're, they're rolling out of Egypt. They took some stuff. They're moving. They're on the move, and uh, they're, they're going, that was tough. That was crazy getting out of there. And all of a sudden, during their journey, they come into this kind of cul-de-sac, and the journey's not over, and the tough part's not over, and the circumstances are not looking good. You got your enemy up on the hill getting ready to come down and bum-rush you, and all of a sudden, in the back, you've got water, and you're like, hee-hee-ho-hee-ha. Not good circumstances. Sometimes the enemy, sometimes the circumstances seem like they're just coming down and going to crush you. And that beautiful sign of redemption when God opens the Red Sea and makes a way through Jesus Christ. When he, he makes that way, when, when you feel like, this is daunting, there's no way I can get over this. I want you to turn your Bibles to uh, Philippians with me. Philippians 1. And uh, we're going to start at verse 12 and... What's happening here is Paul is writing to the believers in Philippi, is writing to these people. And by the way, it's really hard. Sometimes it feels as though we're speaking to you personally because, and, and individually, just as I've been up here, I'm thinking about you and maybe these various situations. And so sometimes we get caught into speaking as individuals, but the letters and all of the epistles and the Bible is written to people. We're never to be separated. Remember the aspen trees, the aspen grove? We're always together with that DNA of who Jesus is, the DNA of the gospel, relational, missional, spiritual, the Holy Spirit's power. So we're, we're in on that. We have a DNA together as we, as we walk with that. But uh, what's happening here is Paul's writing to, not an aspen grove, he's, he's writing to a community of people who have this DNA and uh, he's, he's telling them, I'm in prison. And he's talking about his situation here. And he's writing from prison. Check this out. This is what he says. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment 
is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by the imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's what's happened to me, and they know what's happened. So what has happened to me has served the gospel. Me being in prison, that gnarly circumstance, being in prison, I just found out two days ago a friend of mine's been in prison the last three months. I was kind of wondering why I hadn't heard from him. But I saw his mug shot, and, uh, and I started to grieve, and I started to think, man, what went wrong? What is going on with these circumstances? But he did the crime, right? So he's, he is, he's in jail for that crime. Paul is in jail because of the gospel. Sometimes, so here's what I'm clarifying for you. Sometimes you're in jail and you're innocent. Sometimes you're in jail and you're guilty. Sometimes you have bad circumstances that have come from your sin. Don't mistake that suffering for suffering for Jesus when it's a seed of your sin. Sometimes people go, oh, I'm really suffering right now, and they want to spiritualize it and make it about the gospel when it's not about the gospel. So that's where Kevin is pleading, saying, recognize your stuff. But we're talking about things and persevering. Once you get rooted in Jesus Christ, and he even uses the word, he says, in defense of the gospel, there's a war that's going on. And once you take the identification of Christ, and as you remember, not just receive it, but as you walk it out, not just standing there going, I just received it, but that you're walking it out. You're living and you're walking out. When you live and walk it out, you're going to see oppression. You're going to see circumstances get hairy. And here he is in jail saying this. They put me in jail. You know that's what happened. But they latched me to this guard. That's the way they would do it back then. And so he'd be latched to this guard. And so he's going like this. Here's my circumstance. I want you right now to think about the worst circumstance you're you're a part of right now. It could be a person. It could be a situation that's gnarly, that, that isn't because of your sin but it's just a hard situation. It's a hard relationship. And here you are handcuffed. And he's handcuffed to a a centurion. And here's what he does. He preaches the gospel. He teaches them about Jesus. He has a peace and an understanding that's surpassing his circumstance. The gospel can't be held down. You can't hold Jesus down, son. He's got Jesus inside. Remember, we're walking, we're rooted, we're built up. You can't hold Jesus down. Fine. You're right here. I got Jesus inside. Some Jesus got to come out. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. What do you think about that? And he's talking to these guards about Jesus Christ. And his circumstance isn't dictating his life. Jesus Christ is dictating his life. Jesus Christ is still Lord. The prison system is not his Lord. 
He's seeing through it all, right? That's an eternal perspective, you guys. That's what we get. We're in Christ. And so he's looking, and here's what happens. The imperial guard, he says, now is all yapping about Jesus. All these dudes, all these soldiers are walking around going, hey, did you hear such and such became a Christian? Such and such became, you know, Bruce over there on wing two uh, was talking to that crazy Paul guy, and he became a Christian. He's following Christ now. No, 9,000 guards and Jesus Christ is the story. Jesus Christ is the power. What do you think of that? We got more clapping, okay. A couple years ago, you guys may have heard this story. There's a girl named Bethany Hamilton. And Bethany Hamilton, she was about 14 this is probably seven years ago. So she's about 20 now, but about five, six, seven years ago, she's um, in Kauai, and she's a surfer. And uh, Bethany Hamilton's out there, and she paddles out that morning. And when you paddle out in the morning, it's real glassy. There's just something really beautiful about it, and the waves are super smooth. And she's going out there, but she's just stoked, and she's just like, uh-huh. And she's a believer. She follows Jesus. And uh, she had won a few contests from when she was like 10, 11, she, and she took first place in these surf contests. And her parents moved from the mainland here out to Hawaii uh, because they love surfing. And so Bethany's out there, and she's a part of this whole lifestyle, and, and, uh, and maybe even that's a piece of her identity. And, and so she's in that culture, and she knows the language, but she's pumping the gospel, right? And so she gets Jesus, and there she is, and she's, she's out there one day, and she's just sitting there, and I bet you know what's going to happen. Donna, Donna, Donna. Really? At 14 years old, huge shark comes up, takes her arm off. But she loves Jesus. Is that supposed to happen to people that love Jesus? Freaking arm gets ripped off? And sometimes you're saying that kind of stuff. Is that supposed to happen? Why is that happening? Whoosh! Two more inches into uh, her body, two more inches up, it's, it's fatal. 100%. Some surfers get Bethany out of the water. On her way to the hospital, she loses 70% of her blood. She survives it. The story goes worldwide. This 14-year-old blonde surfer girl from Kauai, Hawaii, this American, gets her arm ripped off by a shark and survives. She's on Good Morning America. She's written up in Time Magazine. She's in Newsweek. She's on Leno. She's on Oprah. She's everywhere. And what's Bethany talking about? Not, gosh, I wish somebody would go find that shark and yank my arm off and sew it on. God, that's a bummer. 
I was right-handed, now I only got the lefty. No. Her heart's for Jesus. Arm or no arm? Arm or no arm? Arm or no arm? Jesus. Jesus talked about in Newsweek, in Time, on the TV shows, all across the world. They're hearing the message of Jesus through Bethany. Guess what? Bethany still surfs. Bethany still wins contests. When you have Jesus, no circumstance will bury you. You will move on, and we will move through, and we persevere. And there's a, there's a kind of a tricky word. If you'll go to Philippians 2, look at verse 12 and 13. The word is called sanctification. It's that God continues to use good and bad circumstances. That we continue to rely on Him. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, and and what He had been talking about before, just so you know, is He was talking about humility. He's talking about the humility of Christ, and he's talking about the glory of God, and he's saying, therefore, in light of God's glory, in light of you being raised from the dead, in light of you having a new identity, and therefore, because of who God is, and him shedding his light, and giving us this persevering power that builds our character, therefore, my beloved, that's another piece of your identity in Christ, you are loved, you are the loved, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means come into God's presence. Remember grace, you guys? Come into God's presence. And, 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 and mull over your salvation value your salvation, come before God, the one who saved you, with fear and trembling. It means you have the deepest respect at your goose bump level, at every follicle of your hair, at every sensory that you have, coming into his presence and saying, and understanding that he has brought you by grace, he has saved you by grace. He has made a place for you and you bring the salvation, that which saved you. You bring your relationship, and he says, let's work this out, son. Let's work this out, daughter. Let's talk about the crap that's happening in our lives. And he says this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about your story, what you were writing yesterday. Is God get good pleasure in that? Is God receiving pleasure? Are You receive the treasure and he wants you to think about that and work that out in fear and trembling, even though there's bad and crazy circumstances going on around us. But are we centered on Jesus Christ? I want to back up really quickly and then we'll close out. I've got to make sure that you understand grace. It's a word that's just flipped around everywhere, especially with us Christians. Oh, the grace of God, grace, grace. I just want to give it a simple one, and since my mind is on surfing, I'll just go with surfing. If you're a wakeboarder, this will work for you as well. Raise your hand if you wakeboard. Okay, there's two of you. Anyway, 
do we know what wakeboarding is? Yeah, we do. Here's what grace is, you guys. I just want to give you that visual. Is first of all, from death, you're sitting in the water. I used to have a friend that we used to slalom ski, and he was just huge. He was like 289, right? And we'd be all in the boat, and I'd be the flag guy. And uh, he'd go, hit it! And then, uh, then the boat would go, but the boat would go like this, like, and we're like, I don't know if he's going to go up. And all you would see was a mound of water, right? Bruce is back there, and it's like, and you're like, is he going to appear? And every once in a while, he'd just pop up, and he'd be on the water, right? And you're like, yes, the boat made it and everything. But the boat would just be like, and he'd just be mound in there. And you're like, but he'd finally come up out of that. Just like us coming out of that, in the baptism, the watery grave, we would come up out and we would surface. But here's the deal. We don't surface and go, you brought me to life. It is by grace that you saved me. So I'm in this grace space. And here's what it means, you guys. For me, it's just surfing. The Bible talks many times about just standing in Ephesians. Stand. And you hear him talking about the defense of the gospel when he's in prison. He's talking about the advancement. Sometimes we move, God will move us, and sometimes we defend the word. Sometimes we we work the word out. And so we're in movement, but who controls that movement is the Holy Spirit. And because we've been saved by grace, grace is God's power. And here's here's how I see it. You stand in Christ like you're standing on a board. And you stand in your faith. And remember we said you root down and you're built up by Christ. You're on that board and Christ is that way for your ride. And here's what's the amazing thing for me is when surfers surf, right? When you stand on that board, you get a ride. And sometimes they're a mile long. There's places in the world where you can ride for a mile long. Are you really doing anything but standing? but you're going from here to here and the ride is free. And there's a fortress of grace that God has for you that looks like a wave. And when you stand in Christ, God will move your life. You can't go, oh, I'm going to get over there and I'm going to do this and that over there. Or these circumstances are bothering me. I'm going to go ahead and move over here. God says, just stand in Christ. Stand in the gospel and I'll move you, and I'll give you the ride of your lifetime. That's what grace is, is when you stand in Christ Jesus and God moves you. We can't fabricate a life. We can't fabricate any of this this process. We can't change ourselves. We're talking about gospel transformation. Grace will change you. The adventure will change you. I want you to go to Matthew 27. We're going to close this out. While we're going there, the other thing I want to point out is when somebody lives like that, when you live like a, you're more than a conqueror, when you live like you can't be shut down because you've got the power of Christ, when you live like a free person even though you're in a jail, when you live under circumstances that look daunting, when, when God opens places like the Red Sea, when God brings you salvation, that's a powerful place. You know what that does? That rubs off on other people and they become confident in the Lord. In that boldness that God gives you, you become inspired. You inspire others. And that's what he said. Paul said that in 
Philippians 1, he says, hey, here I am, chained to these guards. What's happened to me? Ain't a thing. Everybody's talking about Jesus. They're coming to Christ, the advancement of the gospel. Some of them even talk about Jesus to bug me out of envy and rivalry. I don't even care as long as the gospel's going forward. That's the kind of life that we live with Jesus Christ. We move forward. The things are nothing. And by grace, we stand in him and we move forward into our identity. And here's what that sanctification piece is, you guys, on that Philippians 2, 12 and 13. When you look at the word and you see, work this out with fear and trembling, and God will meet you at that. So God's saying, be faithful to me, I'm faithful to you. And it's this working, beautiful relationship we'll talk about later. But this relationship that we have with God that shapes our character. And it means this, I live in a city of Indy. In Portland, everybody's got their own thing and their own scene, right? It ends up looking like conformity, but it started in what they thought was indie and independence. And when you're sanctified and you continue to go to God, what it means is that, and hear me right here, this is, this is a nugget. When you come into this situation where you go before God and you say, here are my circumstances, Here's what you know I'm going through. I value everything you've given me in Christ Jesus. God will confront you and say, do you want to do that independently? Or are you trying to solve your problems independent? Are you indie or are you dependy? Are you going to be dependent on me? Are you going to find out all of the ways that you're not trusting the gospel where other things are bigger or more important to you? This is what it means to work out the salvation becomes more and more alive in us, the salvation of Hosanna. Okay, and so Matthew 27. Tell me about this, listen to this circumstance and tell me if you hear good circumstances here. As they went out, I'm at verse 32, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one at the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and, he, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let him deliver himself now if he desires him. For, for he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know that he died, gave up his spirit, it was all finished when he died for us. 
And a guy named Joseph of Amarathea came down and asked permission to take his body. If you think about Jesus, said, take my body. This guy did it literally. Had the dead body of Jesus in his arms as he carried him to where he was to be buried, to give him a proper, proper burial. And everybody was in contemplation. All those beautiful things and all the power of what Jesus said to me. I thought I was in him. I was identifying with him. These circumstances suck. Now everybody's mocking. They just ripped him up. For three days they were in contemplation the way we should be contemplating. What about these circumstances? Jesus shows up again. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Oh, those are some gnarly circumstances. I know that you're thinking the circumstances crush him. I know that you're thinking... Bad things don't happen to good people because Jesus was a swell guy. I know what you're thinking, but he's not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There there he will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Some mixed emotions, right? Tripping out a little bit, going, really? Okay, how's this going to work out, God? And ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. We really avoid suffering, but we don't understand that suffering gives birth to life. Suffering with Jesus Christ gives birth to joy. If you don't believe me, ask your mother. She was suffering when she was pregnant with you, and she was suffering and suffering, and then there was birth to joy, you little joy. But I want to go back to what Kevin said about repentance. I want to ask you to contemplate coming before God with fear and trembling and telling him those circumstances that seem too big for you. And I want you to ultimately, I would ask you as your brother, as a fellow sinner, to repent because at times we don't make God great. We don't allow God to be great. The gospel is great. And God has brought us from death to life, grounded us in his son, given us a new identity. And the sanctification and the suffering and the good in circumstances is the potter shaping the clay. Let God use those circumstances, but keep Christ in the middle. Love you.